Okay, so Romans 3, we left off. I had barely gotten through some kind of form of Romans 3, 21 to 26. This is, some uh, scholars have suggested that Paul is quoting here a kind of church creed because it's such a tightly woven statement, a little bit unlike some of his other statements. It kind of stands out as a little bit of a different style than what the rest of Romans has. But having translated Romans, and particularly this passage, I detect that it's Pauline. Mm -hmm. I really don't think he borrowed it from anybody. I think he, Paul is capable of writing tightly woven uh, passages, uh, trying to describe something, trying to encapsulate something in its fullness, but in a short form. So we're going to start with just a very brief overview. I'm not going to do the long one like I did last week. We have established that Paul's goal is to establish the obedience that comes from trust, that to him there is no obedience that comes from law. Uh, the only obedience, the only true obedience, comes from a trusting relationship in God, with God. And that the covenant, the original covenant, was a covenant of trust. And because Abraham distrusted God, it became a covenant of works. And that's where circumcision came from. But one of the impediments to trust is the wrath of God. And so Paul, very clearly and carefully in Romans 1, maps out what the wrath of God is. That it is God giving people up to the consequences of their choice. It is not punitive anger, retributive anger. And that, in a sense, we store up wrath in ourselves for the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment would be revealed. That if we, turn, if we reject God's goodness, which is intended to lead us to repentance, there's no other option but to be filled with anger and wrath. And, and I, I see this increasingly in America um, with the hate that is being propagated. Uh, it seems that, and, and having done a little conference in uh, Florida last summer and and having people tell me that they want revenge and they want retaliation mm -hmm. and they want God to smack them and, mm -hmm. and, and all of that and they didn't particularly like my message consequently mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I see that you know when you go that route you're rejecting the graciousness and kindness and goodness of God mm -hmm. and and there's no other option but to have hate and mm -hmm. anger and malice and, and um, mm -hmm. all of this. So Paul very carefully says, no, God's wrath is not against you. It's allowing you the freedom. It's giving you up to the choices you have made. And consequently, there's no need to be afraid except of yourself. And, and come on now. <laughs> you who judge every other people, are you not guilty of the same things? And who, what right do you have to judge when you yourself do the same things? So those are the, I'm basically covering the first two chapters. And now we are in chapter three. Where Paul has just established that we are all sinners. We have all done evil. And I'm going to start with verse 19, just because it's the previous context. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced 
and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. I'm not convinced that justified is the best word for Paul. Mm. Uh, the word really means acquittal in Greek. And I mentioned, I think, last time that acquittal does work in, a, in a only one sense. If you recognize that we were duped by God's law, as Paul puts it, we became, came under the power of sin, which the power of sin, of course, is the devil. We were duped about God. That caused us to fall. And the reason why we can be saved and Satan can't is because Satan sinned fully knowing that he was wrong, fully knowing the truth about God. And there was no deception in his mind. Uh, but we were deceived. And by learning the truth about God, and I'm borrowing from Ellen White here uh, and Desire of Ages, by learning the truth about God, we can be won back to love and trust. And that relationship can be restored. So, given that, this uh, chapter suggests that we are acquitted because if we had known the truth and not been deceived, we would have been on God's side. But that's, that's the acquittal point. And I'm, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. I got this from Herb Montgomery some years ago when he came here. And the other thing about justification... I think it justified should be set right or put right mm -hmm. um, because it, it makes more sense. It's a broader term. Um, in the NIV, it says declared righteous or righteousness, you know, in 21. Yeah. Instead of using the word judgment. Starting with verse 25. But okay. now, apart from law, and you remember last week I clarified that law there is without the article. So this is law inclusive. This is actually the legal context or construct. But now apart from a legal construct, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and, and is attested by the law and the prophets. Mm -hmm. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen. They are now set right by His grace. I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by, by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous, and that he sets right the one who has faith in Jesus. There seems to be a background of the assumption here for Paul that God had to prove his righteousness in order to set us right. Why would he need to prove his righteousness in order to set us right? Now, in most people's view of God in the Bible, God is a dictator. He can just say, that's the way it is, and you have to accept it. Mm -hmm. That is not the God I read in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Not the God that Abraham reasoned with and Moses reasoned, argued with. The longest dialogue between God and, and a human being is Moses spending verse after verse after verse saying, No, God, I don't want to go to Egypt. No, God, no. but this, but that. But do you think, Gene, that to some extent in the Old Testament particularly, 
that some of the, some of the writers portray him that way, or, or or at least it's translated that way, where it sounds like he's more tyrannical than we we know him to be. It does sound that way, yeah. and and that's why we have to get into why it sounds that way. It sounds mm-hmm. that way because as once Israel decided to have a king, their theology dramatically shifted. Mm-hmm. God became a king. They wanted a king like the other nations around them, i.e. Mesopotamia. Well, they got their king, and they got their ideology of kingship, and it became increasingly Babylon the farther you go. So under the influences of the Neo-Syrian kings, under the influences of Nebuchadnezzar, Nabopolassar, you have this very strong shift taking place in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. But if you read Genesis, and even Exodus, God is not, I'm going to lay down the law and you just have to accept mm-hmm. it. He is a God who is reasoned with. Mm-hmm. So I maintain, and, and then you enter the book of Job, which brings up a whole new perception of God in the heavenly courts where he has to prove his point. He can't just say to Satan, look, I know he's a righteous man, bug off. <laughs> He can't just say that. He has to allow it to play out. The truth doesn't rest upon God's say-so. And, and that should be just good human logic. Because what claims don't make something so. Uh, it is evidence that makes something so. And so, and for, in God's court, it is empirical evidence. It is experiential evidence that makes something so. So Job has to suffer. Job has to go through this horrendous trust, testing in order to uh, demonstrate the truth about his, about his um, relationship with God and about God. So I, 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 and I suppose, you know, I'm an Old Testament person reading a New Testament, but the New Testament is built on the Old Testament, and I think we don't do enough of that. Eugene, do, do you think... You know, and we're, we're all in that process, and it's a messy process. But he's taking the time and, and doing it. He's He knows he's ensuring the universe for eternity to, you know, the arguments that were against him. And then so all the other, you know, beings, everything, will, they have a lot of evidence. They're just saying, well, God just said so. Yeah. That, that he's... Well, you think about parenting. How far do you get with your kids saying, yeah. <laughs> and when they say, why? You say, because I said so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time I heard a parent doing that to a child. My parents never did that to me. Never, ever did that. They would sit us down. Well, what happened is, when I was four years old, I was an atheist. I've told this before. And uh, I started thinking one day about why I obeyed my mother. And I decided the reason I obeyed her is because I didn't like the flack I got. <laughs> so she would scold me. She would, you know. And by the way, Ellen at four won. years old. At four years <laughs> old. I love that. <laughs> so I, well, it gets it's, it gets worse or better, however you want to package it. Uh, I uh, I thought about that I obeyed her for that reason. I thought, you know, that's not a very good reason. I didn't feel that was a righteous reason for some reason. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and, very high on the scale. <laughs> and so I, I thought, well, and, and I had a feeling if my mother knew that, she wouldn't be, appreciate it. So I uh, came up with this 
thought, you know, if she doesn't like my motive for obeying her, then she needs to change her method of discipline. (laughs) 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 And I think God took that as a prayer. Remember, I'm an atheist, right? Uh (laughs) Four-year-old atheist. (laughs) In an Adventist, very conservative Adventist. (laughs) (laughs) Because about that time, my mother started reading child guidance. And she read about how you were never to avoid spanking, if at all possible. My mother had been raised by the German fly swat, is the way she called it. Uh, and uh, so she didn't know any better and she stopped spanking my brother which did not do a grain of good my brother would just go into this mode of you can kill me (laughs) but I won't change and um, so she started sitting him down and reasoning with him and everything changed she was able to connect with him she was able to uh help him see the light of day. And uh, so she started doing that with me as well. It took some time, but, but she, she did make tremendous progress. So my mother, I don't recall ever in my life my mother saying because I said so. So I'm 13 years old and in a doctor's office, and a family of a whole bunch of kids come in, and they look like they're hippies. This is back in the 70s, <laughs> early 70s. <laughs> and one of the kids goes over to the magazine wrap, starts pulling the magazines out on the floor and tearing them in pieces and and uh, the mother screams you stop that and the kid says why meanwhile pulling more magazines out of the rack and she says because I said so and I was like (laughs) horrors how could a mother do that and so I came home and complained to my mother and she said I'm I'm afraid Jean that that's done quite often (laughs) in parenting (laughs) I don't see God as doing that. Well, I do think there's times like, you know, when, you, when your child's in danger, you know, whatever, you say stop, like you stop it, it's very authoritative like that. Yeah. You know, like you're, you're, you're you know, like but you're not you don't always have time there. for a logical argument. You you're know? not going to leave it there. You're going right, to unpack that right, later. Right. Later on you'll child. talk about it. Yeah, exactly. yeah, later on you'll talk this about is, it. This is why. Um, but isn't it interesting how everything you've been saying, Tom, and this whole house of cards falls because we're so focused on dominance like this notion of Mm -hmm. win lose Mm -hmm. and I think when you study the Mesopotamian economy you're going to find out that where the economic system can pervert it is when we kind of bought into this notion that I dominate you and I get the better end of the stick and so forth and that's how slavery ensues and all these other things and so forth where where basically only one of us can win but like but really we know that God intended thank you for steering my way otherwise I'd be going where Am I going? <laughs> but, but you know, but but it's when it's when uh, it, God God intended not just economics, but but the world to be win win. I mean, even even in Timothy when he says, "Well, like, you know, I'm patient." You know, God is patient with you. Not there's not that He's slow or fast. He's patient with you. Not one anyone anyone to perish. Can I can I go back sure, even yeah, a step yeah, further uh, or farther back? Love is reciprocal, right? Mm-hmm. The ecology of love is mm-hmm. exemplified mm-hmm. by nature. Nature uh, has this in every ecosystem. Uh, the sun uh, gives warmth to, the, to life, and life creates an ambience so that the sun uh, can be more effective. And uh, the clouds drop rain, most of which falls in the ocean, 
and but also falls into rivers and streams and and they fall come into the ocean and there's this constant mm -hmm. giving and receiving and giving again beautiful that was originally the plan of e economics wasn't it mm -hmm. gift giving i give to you and you'll give me back where the hitch came in is when sin entered the universe and we lost trust Suddenly, it was, I give to you, and you better give me back. <laughs> and or I give, he, they gave to me, and I have to give back. I have to give back. I'm obligated to give back in kind. And that led to trade, and that led to etc. God's original plan was that we all live in harmony together on the planet, all sustaining one another. That was his original plan. The original Jewish plan really never allowed for that absolute control. Even if you really messed up, it was still given back to your right. family. It was kind of a shared... Exactly. I mean, no, I've never seen, I've never heard of any culture ever doing that. Now, we, we, we afford... No, we um, the closest the, the closest that you have is uh, what is called Misharim. Misharim was a decree by the king where he absorbed all the all the all the losses of his realm mm -hmm. and and reset the button and everybody uh, was kind of set free there was this start over. Uh, there was a start over but the king was the one who did it and it was at his jurisdiction whether he did it or not and that's, usually that's the way entrepreneurship is supposed to work and, and usually the king would um, do it at the at the beginning of his reign. Yeah. Oh. But like I'm bearing all the risk. Trust me, I'm bearing all the risk. And if things fail, I'm going to absorb it. And if and if you succeed, then maybe I get a piece of it. But if if you don't succeed, I don't get anything. Mm -hmm. You know. You know. You're you're, mm -hmm. you're basically trying empowering your people and, and getting the, getting them to want to do their best work because they know they're going to be. And say empowering people is power under, uh, as opposed right, right. to power over. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I'm using terminology from Greg Boyd now. I want to give credit where credit is due. <laughs> so, so what I think is happening is there's this assumption that God does have to prove something, and it's because of the, the great controversy and the lies of Satan. But what it means is that God holds an open court. He's transparent. There's nothing hidden. So Daniel 7, uh, the court sits in judgment, the books are open, and you have tens of thousands of beings. This is open court. The reason we don't have a sense of that is because we cut ourselves off from that open court. So um, I'm going to pass around my translation of this passage, and I'm going to ask couples to share. Yeah. Wait a see. And um, yeah, that, you know, get this. I think it's easy to forget, you know, when you when we see is Lucifer and Satan and that. But you know the the other beings. Okay. Oh, you got it. He was, you know, for probably billions or how many years, he was highly, highly, you know, respected and, you know, was you know, in the leadership and that, and for them to, if God just know he's, you know. I'm right and you're wrong. You know, he, you know, you're, he doesn't way he treats people anyway. But it also is important to take yeah. that time. Yeah.
And that's the other thing. Um, in a legal model, things get done very quickly. Mm -hmm. The gavel comes down, the sentence is made, mm -hmm. and the penalty begins. In a restorative justice model, which I like to think is the closest we have human beings here to God's model of justice. Mm -hmm. In a restorative justice model, things take time. Take con lots of conversation, lots of deliberation, lots of explanation, and, and um, lots of uh, evidence, demonstrated evidence. Mm -hmm. That's the model we need to strive to move move towards here. PC. I think so. Yeah, yeah, and I, th and I think there's effort being made there. So, hence, uh, in light of all that's been said above in my master's thesis, one could interpret Romans three twenty five to twenty six. This is just the last part. <clears throat> Whom God put forth through His death as an establishment of the means of trust. That's what I call the sacrifice of atonement: the establishment of the means of trust. Mm -hmm. This death was to show his righteousness, because in his forbearance he had apparently passed over men's former sins. This was to show at the present time that he is righteous and sets right those who have faith in Jesus. And note the reason for this. This death was to show his righteousness because... In his forbearance, he had apparently passed over former sins. Mm. You think about that. Give an example. Well, Philo brings this up, and I, I see Fi I hear Philo here. I still think Paul and Philo had some talk. Because they were contemporaries, and Paul spent considerable time in Arabia, which isn't that far from Egypt. Uh, Philo brings up the fact that God tells Adam and Eve, or tells Adam, you shall not eat of the fruit which is in the midst of the garden, because in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And then what happens? They don't die. And Philo says, it isn't the physical death that's the important thing here. It's the death to the soul. It's the moral death. And I, I hear Paul taking this as somewhat of an assumption that it looked like God had lied when he said, you will surely die, because he exercised mercy, and we didn't die right away. So it looked, it appeared that he passed over former sins, and meanwhile the world gets worse and worse, and, he has the, and we have the flood, and then the world gets still worse and worse, and... Uh, we have all these problems, and it looks like God is just passing it over. Mm -hmm. He's not calling it to account. He's not uh, bringing it into judgment. He's passing over former sins. So it's like the whole universe is saying, Okay, God, you sort of have a really nice way of just letting things happen, but when are you going to do something about it? Yeah. And, and, and they're so ready for that. Uh, Ellen White pictures them on the, on, on the edge of heaven with thunderbolts in their hands, ready to destroy the earth right at the moment Jesus comes. You know, so they're, they're like, we're ready for judgment, God, and surely you're going to say the word just any time. The world is so corrupt, we can't handle it anymore. We don't even want to go down there anymore. And Jesus leaves the throne. 
comes down, becomes an infant. What? <laughs> and God says, this is what I'm doing about it. What? And then he dies. And he dies a death that clarifies that sin is what causes death. He dies the death that demonstrates this is what sin does. And that it demonstrates it on all levels. It was the Babylonian Jews coming back from Babylon that brought with them the Babylonian, the, the forerunner of the Babylonian Talmud that led to the crucifixion of Jesus and the rejection of Jesus. It was that entire Babylonian model of power, dominance, wrath, appeasement, that whole model that brought about Jesus' death on the cross. Which is one of the things I'm going to be doing in, in probably about four months, mm -hmm. <laughs> is showing that. Not here, but on that video conference. Mm -hmm. in, in contrast to pain or appeasement of the death. I do it. I'm taking it on myself. Mm -hmm. The charge is on, resting on me. He charged me with lying. How can I expect an angel or anyone else to, to prove the truthfulness of my words? Mm -hmm. I have to prove it myself. That's what Paul's talking about here. That's why I think when we when we lose a, a loved one, especially when they're younger, we have to we have to uh, force ourselves to not be angry with the person that passed because some you know they're a drug addiction or whatever, or to, or to be angry at God for you know like, just like Lord, I'm leaving in your hands because none of us deserve so, heaven. So waiting, but waiting, it's God's grace. Waiting for yeah, and waiting for the evidence, waiting for God to work that through. Uh, every point in our lives, and, and this has been helpful to me in, in wrestling with the issue of suffering, every point in my life where I'm, I'm struggling, that's not the last chapter. There's more going to happen. There's more going to be said. There's more going to be held to. And God's going to come through looking good. Um, but we have to wait till the end of the, the end of the book to get that last chapter. On the other hand, I think it's I think it's justified to feel anger. You just have to direct it in the right direction. You know, I, I've been very skeptical of the whole Me Too movement because lots of people are saying women are saying, "Oh, this is going to change." No, it's not going to change things. The reality is going to it may change something. I think some people are going to think some males are going to think twice before they do something stupid. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think yeah. in that respect, but some people are still going to do horrible things. Yeah, it's still yeah. it's still yeah. going to go on. And no, I, no I still will feel outraged, but yeah, I won't yeah. feel you know feel outraged yeah. at the the underlying cause, yeah. which is evil and sin right, and devil. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. and people being allowed to let themselves be used by that, mm -hmm. you know, and act in those ways. So I think anger, you know, together with the sadness, is understandable. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, um, it made me think of a video I showed yesterday for Valentine's Day. You know, I, I, like in P Money, I show, I show videos for, you know, for music, music videos every day. Adrian's used to it, and, and well, it's a readers too from Honors <laughs> Leadership. And this week, you know, um, on Friday, I played um, I'm Every Woman. It's, it's a woman. It's a, a cover of the Shaka Khan song by, by Whitney Houston. And in this song, she's pregnant with Bobby Brown's da daughter and so forth, and Bobby Christina. And it made me so, because I, I wanted to play this to kind of honor the moms. 
you know, because like, hey, all of us have a, your Valentine's mom. Everybody's got mom as a Valentine, right? Or, <laughs> or grandma or whatever. And like, I think watching the video and how it ended, because Whitney's pregnant, 20 years later, she'd be gone and her baby be gone mm -hmm. from drugs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, it's just horrific. You know, a person that gifted, that talented, that mm -hmm. beautiful, mm -hmm. you know, on so many levels. And, um, whose life was snuffed out, and then her daughter's life was snuffed out soon after because of drugs. It's just, just horrible. So, but, but, I, but it's in God's hands. You know, I'm not trying to say, oh, Whitney Houston's going to be in heaven. But you know what? I, I trust God, and I, and I still think Whitney was a good person that had struggles, you know, just like I have struggles, you know, and, and the God's got it, you know. So. Well, I think... Back to anger, there's 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 anger and there's anger, there's anger that is abhorrence and and what we call righteous indignation. <clears throat> but the anger that I'm concerned about is this punitive anger, uh, retaliation and, and revenge, which has been ascribed to God. And that kind of anger anger is never self uh, God's anger is never self centered. <clears throat> It's never about me. Right. Uh, it's anger for the person. He's angry concerning what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, it's out of love. Right. right, it's, right. His love never, never ends on that. Mm -hmm. Of course, we all, we all try to go that direction. We we struggle with that. Gee, I'm still a little fuzzy on. So, in kind of the whole discussion about why Jesus died. What would be in this context what you're saying? What is a what, prim what, what I'm is saying a primary is, focus? What I'm saying is that in the beginning, God told Adam, uh, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And Satan comes along and negates that and says, not dying, you shall die. Mm -hmm. Which is what the Hebrew literally says. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and fabricates a whole different meaning and perception for it. It looks like God is lying. Satan has portrayed God as lying. How can you trust a liar? Mm. And it, with that being the crux of, of the lie, what is going to prevent human beings from going wholesale into sin? Because, you know, he said we would die, but we haven't. Mm -hmm. There's that problem. The other problem is that Satan didn't stop with just one lie. He invented an ever-burning hell in an attempt to drive people away from God. So he basically maintained, because sin won't kill you, God will have to be the one to kill well, you. Well, it's a shame how many Christians are at that level of moral development where they think it's all punishment avoidance or like a fire insurance policy. That's really, really sad to me. So what I see happening is that God said, in order for me to demonstrate the truth, because once again we have this open court and evidence-based uh, decision-making. God says, I will take this on myself. I will demonstrate what sin does. What it does. Mm -hmm. And that's why Jesus became our sin-bearer. That's why bearing our sins was so important. Mm -hmm. He became our sin-bearer, went to the cross, and he, he felt every thing that not only every not, er, not only every sinful thought he felt every sinful consequence hmm. the emotional out, outcome the the trauma the the woundedness hmm. Hmm. Uh, 
Because you can go through the serpent's conversation with the woman, and you can show how he tore her down, mm -hmm. point by point. He questioned her ability to know anything, and put down her reason, as God said. He implied that... Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember uh, that conversation. I was I was working through it last night. This is Genesis three. So he he first of all basically implies that she really doesn't know what she's she's doing, and then um, when he says not dying, you shall die. Uh, he's basically discrediting her what she has said, and and. Um, Basically suggesting that uh, I need my notes from last night. <laughs> uh, basically said, your eyes are blind. I can open them, but your eyes are blind. You can't see. And more than that, you aren't really like God, even though you're made in His image. You're in order to be like God, you have to be that. She's he's tearing her down point by point. And in the process, tearing down humanity. Yes. And in the process, tearing down God's reputation. Oh. So he's the ultimate abuser. And his the crux of his abuse is this lie, you shall not surely die. That is, that is really the heart of it. If that lie can be broken, God has basis for saving us. Because he can win us back to trust. He can establish before the universe that sin is what leads to death. If we ever believe that, really believe that, that sin is the cause of everything we suffer and not God, we would be more, much more empowered to be rid of sin. We wouldn't want it as well. I think that's why I Ellen White describes it at the cross. When they saw that... Satan and his whole force would kill. He their was own he was a murderer. Yeah, mm -hmm. he He's would kill their own creator. creator. They they asked, "Don't let him come to our planet and, and try to influence us anymore." We've made our decision. Yeah, we were convinced. They were done. They wouldn't listen to him anymore. Mm -hmm. That's that's so. If you go to you go to uh, there, there's more to it than this, but I'm I'm giving you the heart of what Paul I think is mm -hmm. saying. But in Revelation 12, and we've got to close with this, and verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven proclaiming, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. <laughs> For the accuser of our comrades, that's the Satan, that's the title of, of Satan and what it means in Hebrew. The accuser of our comrades has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. For they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by their word of their testimony. Notice what they have done. They have conquered him. How? They don't believe his lies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what has enabled them not to believe his lies? Standing at the foot of the cross mm -hmm. and saying, you know, he's not, God is not the way Satan has made him out to be. Right. Satan is the accuser and abuser. Amen. So... I'm going to do one more swing through this, through this passage, and then we'll be done, and we'll move on through Romans. There's some tougher passages than that one, Romans 9, <laughs> Paul's predestination. <laughs> yes, yikes. I mean, you got a whole dissertation here, and you're an Old Testament scholar, but this is just on Romans. This was my master's thesis.
Um, but I didn't remember having to write a thesis like that for my MBA program. <laughs> my, my master's thesis in uh, New Testament. Wow, that's impressive. So, let's have prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you that we can stand at the foot of the cross in repentance, in trust, in peace, feeling safe with you because of who you are and because of the lengths to which you've gone to demonstrate the truthfulness of your word. Help us never to remember that you are not our enemy, that you are a savior, that sin is our enemy, and that you are the one who rescues us from it. Thank you for all you've done for us and for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.